Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. Um, It is hard to believe, uh, however, almost two months of 2019 are already behind us, and uh, many entrepreneurs, CEOs, business business owners are busy realizing how the year is shaping up and what they need to do in order to keep or increase positive momentum and outcomes for the year. My guest this morning has a history of improving companies' financial results through improving teams' collaboration and developing effective senior management. My guest this morning is Andrew Rush, Vice President, Carpedia, and I hope I pronounced it right, Carpedia International Results Not Reports. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, David. And yes, you did pronounce that correctly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you for being my guest this morning. Uh, do I catch you where in Toronto, in the U.S.? Where are you? I am in Kelowna, British Columbia right now. Oh, good for you. So uh, uh, the weather probably is better than here. It's like minus 20s here in Calgary. Uh, What's the weather like in Kelowna? It's about minus 8, but it's supposed to be sunshine all day. (laughs) Good for you. Um, Mm. Andrew is a professional speaker and does training engagement uh, for small and large groups across North America. Some of the groups uh, he has been asked to speak include tech, Vistage, uh, Chief Executive Network, Scale Up Academy, McKay CEO Forms, and others. And McKay is uh, the group that I kind of got to know Andrew through. Um, I missed your presentation in Calgary, but we kind of uh, were in touch. Uh, You kind of kept in touch with me. So, uh, kudos to you. Um, Andrew, before we go into business, and I think I have a lot of questions (laughs) in regards to business, um, let's, uh, we, we want to know a little bit more about Andrew. So where did you grow up or where is home? Home was Peterborough, Ontario, about an hour and a half northeast of Toronto. How big is it? It's about 80,000 people now. It was 50 or 60 growing up. I see. And today, where is home? Today, home is in Toronto. I see. And when did you do the move? I left university and went directly to Toronto and then traveled around through my consulting career and ended up back there about 16 years ago. I see. So before we get into your consulting career, uh, how, uh, what kind of a kid were you in a small, uh, a small town at the time, 50 uh, uh, small cities, sorry, 50,000 people? What kind of a kid were you? Active, uh, bookworm? You already kind of knew where you're, going, where you're heading in your career. What were your dreams were as a kid? No, I, I live by the adage, live in the moment. <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do. I loved sports and athletics i which one did you excel in i guess yeah and i you know i was uh blessed with a great family so learning came easy and and peterborough was a nice size place to grow up i've got great friends still uh from my childhood mm-hmm. but then going out in the world was a really eye-opening experience a I good see. one and uh, growing up in Peterborough, was there anything else other than hockey? <laughs> <laughs> well, lacrosse. That's, that's oh. the other pastime of most people in Peterborough. I, I dabbled in football and basketball mostly. Oh, I see. What position did you play in basketball? I was a point guard. Oh, already kind of in, instructing people, directing people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I see that. Now I understand your career. Um, yeah. <laughs> in your family, are there any entrepreneurs? Where did you get into the entrepreneur world? Where did you kind of uh, find the entrepreneur world? Is there anyone in That's interesting. Family? My f- Both my parents growing up were uh, teachers. But about at my age of 15... My father decided to stop teaching and start a small business. It was a mobile wash business going around and washing transport trailers. 
and I rode with him in the truck. Uh, occasionally, he let me have the hose and, and wash down these uh, these big tractor trailers. And then he started a, uh, um, a storage business. So I think part of that entrepreneurial flair came from him. So you were kind of helping or working in the family business? Exactly, yes. During uh, summer vacations? Yeah, and weekends too. Oh, okay. So you yeah. made a lot of you made a lot of money as a young kid. Mm, I got good experience. <laughs> <laughs> I see that was it was a university without paying. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you mentioned you went to university. Where did you go to university after uh, you uh, graduated high school? I went to Queens. And uh, what did you take? Uh, what uh, what did you? Yeah, I took a commerce degree there. So you come out of university, uh, you have your diploma, and what's next? What, what's your first job? Where do you look for a job? Where did you find a job? What was the, exper- the first experience you had from school to the world uh, of work? Yeah, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, it was more a process of elimination. I didn't want to go into accounting. I didn't want to go into finance. So okay. I ended up, yeah, so I ended up taking a job with MedCan Health Management as an account manager in downtown Toronto. And today it's best known it's for its work in uh, private clinics, but there's also a side of the business that was healthcare providers within companies like Inco and Bombardier. And so I managed the business side of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I did that for seven months and realized that I wasn't built for downtown Toronto in that world. And luck would have it that I was at a girlfriend's birthday party. And the only other guy there happened to work for Carpedia. And he started telling me about the kind of work that they did, the travel, the experience, and convinced me that, uh, it was uh, a good career change at that point in time. And to tell you the truth, it was $8,000 more than I was making. And I thought that was huge. But from a career perspective, that one choice uh, and that you know place where we came together by luck was one of the biggest uh, things that shaped my career. So you had a word, uh, sorry, a work experience of uh, seven or eight months in the arena of uh, you know business, the business arena, mm-hmm. and uh, it was one person that was able to convince you to do a career change. That's right. Um, what was it in his story that made you realize I'm in the wrong place and I want to try this? Sure. And even at that point in time, I remember having the conversation with him and still not knowing what I wanted to. But as he talked about the kind of engagements that Carpedia does, where we get hired to go into companies and we have to make them measurably better than when we started the engagement. And the clients range from manufacturing companies retail companies, distribution companies, and within each of those companies, different disciplines like sales and engineering and purchasing and operations. And that excited me, being tasked with having to make some part of a business tangibly better and and the exposure that that was going to give me in my early 20s. The, the stories he told of the kinds of things he was doing really got me excited about uh, about coming on board. So um, following this meeting with this person, by the way, is he still there with Carpedia or he left He's after not, you no. joined? <laughs> he no, left after you no. joined? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you, leave, you, you decide to join Carpedia, I, I guess, at that time after this conversation. <laughs> Um, and you, you said in your answer that, you know, you were kind of looking forward to get those tasks on improving businesses, but you had basically zero business experience. How, how does it That's work? Right. How does it work? <laughs> it works such that Car- Carpedia has a model 
for how to go into any business and make it tangibly better. And it's not a canned model. It's not like lean manufacturing where we go in and we know exactly what to do. But it's it's a list of ways of looking at things and questions to ask and a sequence of events that will bring around positive change in any organization. And the fellow that uh, convinced me to come on board was my my manager for the first, first two years there and, and my mentor in a lot of ways. And he took me under his wing and, and showed me how to do what Carpedia does successfully. And I owe a lot to him for that. I see. And um, share with us your first experience. Um, so you, you join Carpedia and you get an assignment with a Carpedia client or you had to bring your own client. How, how did it work? Did you have to bring your own or... Or, no. Uh, Carpedia had landed a project with a company called Crane Valves, which had a foundry in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. So my first day on the job was in Birmingham, and I got assigned to the customer service department. And there were, you know, there was customer service they were providing when people called in to place orders when they had complaints, but they had no measurement of success or failure. So we started to track things like call abandonment rate, uh, issue resolution rate. The manager of the department started to um, do coaching calls with people in her department to help them manage issues that were coming in better. The flow of orders and the status of orders and those sorts of things we put more robust processes to and greater visibility to make that specific department better. I see. Now, let's kind of go back in time. Your early 20s, you walk into this uh, place in Birmingham, Alabama, the kid from mm-hmm. Canada, the kid from Canada. How were you, <laughs> how, how were you accepted by the, bo- the the bosses, the owners, the people that were working there for many years and you come as a young kid from Canada to teach them how to work? How 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 did they accept you? I, I won't the experience working. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't say it was with open arms because it wasn't. <laughs> okay. But very quickly, you know, there are a variety of things that we do to to build that trust. One is I spent hundreds of hours with the people in the customer service department and the manager watching them work, not for the purpose of evaluating whether they were good or bad at their job, but really putting myself in their shoes understanding all the challenges that they were facing, asking a lot of questions, not pretending to have answers that I didn't. And eventually I got to learn enough about it that I could come up with ideas to make things better. And in essence, make people's jobs better, easier and more successful. And so, you know, it, it took a few weeks to get to that level of of trust and respect, but once people started to see things change for the better, the the baby-faced uh, 20-odd-year-old Canadian <laughs> sort of went away, and I, I just, you know, became part of the team. And I uh, hope you enjoyed some uh, fried chicken and okra. <laughs> fried chicken, yes. Yeah, we, we did. We, we, we worked on site five days a week, so we really embraced the culture of, of Birmingham, Alabama, and got to know it well. I see. And uh, when you left, uh, people were, were, you know, waving goodbye and uh, with tears in their eyes? <laughs> Maybe not that dramatic. <laughs> Andrew, we need to have a short pause, uh, you know, for our first commercial break. Uh, to our uh, audience, please use this uh, opportunity to open a new tab and learn more about Carpedia International. Open a new tab at www.carpedia.com. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D I V I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back uh, with Taking Care of Business. My guest today is Andrew Rush, Vice President, Carpedia International Results Not Reports. And we'll get to the Results Not Reports later. But Andrew, um, you know, you shared with us your first experience as a consultant uh, coming uh, to work at Carpedia, getting your first assignment in Birmingham, Alabama. And today, you know, many years later, you have a vast experience and growing knowledge about the whole uh, notion of uh, performance and cultural alignment, which appears on your bio. And I want to discuss the whole thing of cultural alignment, cultural shift. We hear the, all those words in the, in, in, especially in the last, I would say, three or four years, it became kind of uh, a topic with every uh, business owner. Um, it seems to me, first of all, let's talk about uh, the cultural alignment. It, it seems to me that it's easier said than done. And, and I own businesses for over 20 years. Um, and sometimes I, I'm awake at night and I go, oh, we should change our culture. And how do I do it? Um, share with us um, the whole concept, first of all. But then I would like to kind of get into um, more of how you do it. How do you do it? Mm. Sure. The the concept is that there are really three things in parallel that you've got to be working on. And I think that's one of the challenges when people think about cultural alignment. They tend to focus in just one of the three areas. The three areas being, first of all, you need to align the plans of the business. What I mean by that is that Most businesses create a budget, but they fail to translate that down through the organization so that everybody knows this is what I'm doing today and this this is how it contributes to the success of our business's plan. So it's the setting of the plan and then it's the translation and the communication, first of all. The second piece is... Once the plan is in place, the managers have to have the right follow-up behaviors in order to bring that plan to life. So how often are they engaging with their employees? What's the nature of that conversation? Are they giving them the right expectations? 
Are they helping them remove challenges that are getting in the way of success? And then last would be values and beliefs. In those interactions that leaders and employees have, are the core values coming out and being emphasized in those interactions so that those traits that are going to separate your business from being successful versus others, are those traits being borne out in those conversations that go on day in and day out? So, you know, as I said, it sounds very interesting. It sounds very nice. But when you meet, um, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, CEOs that have, um, I would say, as many years as possible of experience, whether it's five years or 15 years or 50 years that the company exists. Um, what you gave me is, is, is a high-level picture. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you translate? So, because I, and I, I'm talking from my own perspective. You, usually what I see that um, I'm maybe the block that blocks that, the owner or the management, it, they don't want to change. How do you make that transition or or how do you make them or us <laughs> I should say us <laughs> open open to the, the the that discussion of you know this is why you need to change this is how you need to, to grow this is how what will make the difference because it seems that we are kind of the gatekeepers as, as owners you mean yes yes right yeah if the owner that we are dealing with doesn't have a modest amount amount of humility, meaning they can look at themselves and look at their organizations and say, there's a better way of doing things. And asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. If, if owners are willing to do that, then they've got a chance of success. So you're part of McKay Forum and I'm intimately uh, involved in a lot of those groups. And I've seen those groups interact, the people that come to the table, those business leaders, let other people at the table give them advice either about themselves or their company that is coming from peers and yeah, that's not a comfortable experience. I'm a member of a peer group as well. And I know sometimes when I talk about our business, I'm, uh, I'm not always comfortable with the feedback I'm getting, but I'm appreciative of it. And, and the feedback I've received from my peers about how to better run parts of our business has been valuable. And so when we're looking for clients, first and foremost, we're looking for how open are they to change? Because they can say they want to change. If we engage with them and they truly are resisting, then, you know, it's going to be difficult. But we do have ways of breaking that down. And, and I'm talking about we, but anybody that owns a business. I talked, um, you know, and anyone that owns a business can use some of these things. One being I talked about the, the customer service department. When I put myself in those people's shoes, answering phones for eight hours a day, I got to know what was really going on and what was challenging them. And that opened up a whole course of dialogue. And as an owner, I'm not suggesting necessarily you go and do that with the frontline people in the organization, but but your supervisors and managers, if they are not spending parts of their months or weeks really sitting down with their employees and getting to understand what is getting in the way of their success, then they may be dealing on what they think is the uh, the highest priority issues of the business, but there be, could be a complete blind spot to what is truly going on in the organizations that they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get into to work with a, a company, uh, do you work 
with the top level, mid level management, top level management, or through the entire company, uh, vertical all the way down to uh, the you know the, the guy in the mail in the mailroom for just lack of a yep. better example. Um, how, how does it work? We we engage at all levels of an organization. The most time that we spend is with the employees and frontline managers. So whatever it is that your business does, those people are going to dictate whether you're successful or not. They control the biggest amount of costs um, in the organization. So what we do is we go out with them, working shoulder to shoulder, like I mentioned, seeing what's getting in the way, and then working shoulder to shoulder with them to implement changes for the better. Implementing changes something that all leaders are tasked with the responsibility of doing. But many of them have never been trained on how to do it. There's a, a study from Gallup about four years ago that says that seven out of 10 managers are incompetent as managers. And yet as business leaders, we promote these people and we expect them, you know, well, give them a week of training or their predecessor will spend some time with them and then we let them loose. The reality is that most of them don't have the training. And I'm not talking about in the boardroom training. I'm talking about in the moment training, right? Watching interactions with people, helping them better communicate and better plan. That's where we deal with is changing and improving the behaviors of those frontline managers so that all of those interactions that they're having with employees, all of those challenges that get in the way of the business are being better dealt with by that group. But we still have to sit down with the CEO, the VPs, the executive team, because they need to be bought in and they need to be asking the right questions, looking at the right information to better manage the business and remove roadblocks that those frontline managers are having. How do people accept you when you go in? Uh, and I'm talking all levels, the you know, frontline, the first responders, the frontline people, the uh, mid, middle uh, level management and the top management. And how do they accept when you come with your recommendation for change? I, there is not a binary answer. It is not, it's not good or bad. It's, it's always some mixture of, uh, uh, of the two in any organization. There are going to be people that are happy to have the help. They see us as an extension of them to move forward things that they just don't have the time to do on their own, or they appreciate a perspective from outside of their world because they are so stuck looking at what's you know right in front of their face that they're not able to get at some things that, that they want to uh, and then others quite honestly see an outsider as a threat that the things that we uncover is are somehow going to reflect poorly on them as a manager and yeah you could come into our business and look at some of the things that we do. And I'll really admit that, uh, that there are some things I know that we could do better. And there are probably some things that we don't know that we could do better than an outsider. We'll go to an early commercial and, uh, we'll, uh, resume our connection with you and we'll continue from here. Um, so we'll go to our second, uh, commercial, uh, break and, uh, we'll meet you here on the other side of the commercial, uh, please use the, uh, the time of the commercial to open a new tab and check Carpedia.com. Uh, you can find wealth of information on the, in the resource, uh, resources page. I highly recommend it. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with my guest, Andrew Rush, Vice President, Carpedia International Results and, and Not Reports. Um, Andrew, before we had to uh, kind of uh, take a break uh, for technical issues, we were talking about how you are getting, uh, being accepted by the three levels of frontline, mid-management, and, and top management. And um, one question I have for you is, is uh, and, and now I'll put my business owner hat on, is, Okay, you, you went through uh, the frontline uh, people uh, and you went through mid-management. Then you come to me and you say, you know, here are the results. Um, what is the biggest challenge you have experienced or mentoring and working with an entrepreneur or, or CEO to make those changes? Mm. I know we're stubborn people. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a number, but I'll hit on maybe the top two or three. One is there is still a hesitancy when it comes to affecting people and their, you know, and forcing through. And forcing is not the right word, but but getting them to the point where they're willing to try something different. And even even owners, whether you know, if it's entrepreneurs, there's still a connection to people who've been in the business for 20 or 30 years that, that you know, asking them to do something a new and different way, if it's going to cause any kind of discomfort, not all owners are, are willing to do that. Um, and I guess the other part is that owners don't know their own blind spots. So they may support a certain program, but it means sometimes that they need to approach the business differently, that, that it may not be in their nature to let things be tried and failed and kind of hold your breath and, and let that process play out. A lot of business owners want results and they want them now, and, and so do we, but we know that there is a process that an organization needs to go through in order to come up with the best changes at the end. And so sometimes that level of patience that is required uh, from business owners isn't always there. So when, when you come with a plan and, and after, you know, spending some time, um, 
why why is it that sometimes or many times or I don't know the uh, exact numbers, but why is it that uh, performance improvement initiatives fail? They fail because the thinking and the discipline to sustain a change often isn't well thought through. So, you know, an organization or manager gets to the point where there is a solution put on the table, they communicate it to the group, day one they might go out, see that it's being uh, abided by, and they walk away and they get on to the next fire. And a month later, two months later, whether it's walking by and hearing a conversation or you know, something comes up that they now realize that that change that they put in place hasn't stuck. And so in putting together the solution, the idea that how am I going to ensure that I know that this change stays in place needs to be a question from the first time that different options for solutions are considered and whether that's you know new metrics in the business to show that things are or that change that has been put in place is staying intact going back on a regular basis to actually follow up on that change asking the right questions of the managers and that takes time and that takes discipline and as humans I think we want to look for the, the fast, easy solution and get on to the next thing. So, you know, that there are ways of being more effective and having more change sustain over the long term, which means that you may actually deal with fewer things, but you're going to put them in place and they will stay in place over the long term. So basically, if I translate it to day-to-day, you have to find a champion in the organization that will follow and be persistent on sending the message? you got to find a champion, but there are also, there's also a system that they need to put in place to ensure that if things start to go off track, that you know, an alarm bell or a red light or some metric starts to indicate that and then don't replace human interaction with anything you've still got to go back and have a conversation ask how that change that went in place is going as soon as you stop asking questions of them as a manager people are going to stop thinking it's important so and that's a discipline you've got to keep it on your list to follow up until you're 100 percent sure that that is the new way of doing things and and as a consultant, uh, uh, whether it's Carpedio, uh, you personally, you follow up or, or stay in touch and hold the hand of those people that are, you know, uh, supposed to lead that kind of change? Absolutely. That is one of our differentiators. So most of our engagements last five to six months. And we don't, in the first third, we're working with the client to figure out what it is that we're going to change and how we're going to do it. The second third is working shoulder to shoulder with them. So as objections come up or unforeseen um, challenges come up where there is a resource to deal with them right away so it doesn't linger uh, and the new way of doing things happens much more quickly. And then in the third um, part of the project, uh, the last third we're letting the managers use the new tools, use the new processes, use the new behaviors, and we're in more of a coaching phase where we're letting them work on these things for eight to 10 weeks with us taking more of a backseat role so that we're sure that when our engagement is over with our clients, that the new way of doing things isn't the new way of doing things. It's the way of doing things. Uh, and the old ways have been forgotten. And, and six months is a, strong, a good enough period to make a change or to implement this kind of change? It is. We've had 25 years of experience. And in five to six months, we can measurably make 
metrics in a business better, not only over that five or six month period, but we go back into our clients six months after an engagement to ensure that the client hasn't gone backwards. Mm. Let's talk about your slogan, results, not reports. Mm-hmm. How did you come up? What, what, is, what is behind this? What's behind it is the two founders back in 1994 had been, uh, had worked in other management consulting companies and they grew to realize that going into an organization, figuring out what's wrong and leaving them with the plan was, was the easy part. And from a value perspective that owners often wouldn't take those recommendations and implement them, not because they didn't want to, because often they didn't know how to. And so the two gentlemen that started the business started it on that and, and with that ideology in mind that if we're going to set up a management consulting company, we're going to do it differently. And that means ingratiating ourselves and our clients' businesses for five to six months and committing to a result, a tangible improvement in metrics of their clients' businesses rather than a report. Um. When, when you get into the business and you kind of dive into the business core and, and, and history, do you also, as a result of your time spending with, with all three levels, do you kind of shake the mission, vision, purpose that companies have? That's not our area of expertise. What we do is what, whatever values they have in place we will test for gaps in terms of how people are actually acting on a day in and day out basis. So we won't get into creating them, but we will ensure that they are uh, being used throughout the organization. We don't get into strategy planning, but we do get into how that strategy gets executed. I see. And, um, do you uh, recommend or use uh, with your company, the companies you work with, uh, key performance indicators? We get heavily involved in key performance indicators. So quite often companies have some degree of metrics, but they may not be measuring the right things. They may not be done at the right frequency. They may not be as accurate as they could be. They may not be understood by the people that are using them. Uh, and almost always we enhance the key performance indicators that are in a client's business. What are your KPIs? <laughs> we, we, we used to have 40 and now we have nine. Wow. I'll tell you that our, the, the, the one that we look at most often is our referral rate. How many clients after we're finished working with them will refer us to others to potentially do more business. And we're at a 94% run rate, which is something that we are extremely proud of. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it is the focus. We can, we can deliver a project and hit all the metrics we committed to. But if that those metrics don't sustain over time, or if we did it by really re-engineering processes and didn't touch on the behaviors and the culture, then as an owner, we may not have got as much value as we could have. So, you know, we, we tell ourselves, do the right thing. We'll map out a scope of what it is we're going to do, but there are many things that we will see and hear and, and be able to help a client with. And if it's not going to take an inordinate amount of time, you know, do the right thing and help our clients out. And, and that will impact their referral rate, uh, our referral rate at the end of an engagement. 
I see. And uh, so you recommend to uh, and implement uh, KPIs with your clients on a regular basis. Absolutely. And make them uh, monitor those, right? Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Uh, the monitoring is the more challenging part, getting people to use them appropriately. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> How do we do that? We, we train them on... Uh, on Basically, we break every problem down into to four different types of issues. Um, and for each of the four, we train them on a specific methodology. And I'll be honest, it's not, it's not ours. We stole it from TWI, Training Within Industry, and we've, we've adapted it for the current day. But it's a very straightforward, basic way to approach any operating problem. So there is structure to it, but then there's, there's so much more. People use accountability as a stick, right? Now I've got a set of numbers to hold people accountable to. I'm going to go and, you know, get in their face when things are off plan. And that's absolutely not the way to do that. A manager's role is to remove the problems that are facing the people that work for them. And so you have to change your mindset to a problem solver rather than a dictator. Andrew, I want to go a couple of uh, big uh, picture uh, questions. Um, Now that you travel and you meet uh, so many CEOs, uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, and in a world that is changing so rapidly, uh, whether it's IT, whether it's uh, politically, whether what are the biggest challenges you see that entrepreneurs are facing in today's world growing their business or maintain, even maintaining their business? I still see it coming back to people and culture. Despite the technological changes, it's people's ability to keep up with those changes, people's willingness to adapt and try new things. At, at the McKay meetings, when People are talking about the concept of alignment. They keep talking about having the right people, having the right behaviors so that the organization is better adapted to the changes that are coming up. What is the risk of, you know, keeping status quo and not doing anything in today's world? You will become obsolete. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it's, it's true. There are... Your competitors are not standing still. The, your industry is not standing still. The market is not standing still. There is so much change going on right now. that, And I think that time horizon has shrunk. That, that the speed of change has made it so much more of an imperative to have to stay ahead of the curve. That, uh, that truly status quo is... Uh, is a recipe for a, a short life in the business world. Um, if you had today to mentor someone that is getting into business, doesn't have a business yet, but he's opening his, uh, wants to, or he or she wants to open their, their business, what are the, mm-hmm. the, some of the do's from your experience that you'll recommend they will do um, to start their business uh, and during the first couple of years so it, mm-hmm. it can be successful? I would say that that planning process, really mapping out, here is what I want to do top line and bottom line. So here's my budget. But what activities do I need to do and the handful of employees I have, what do they need to do in order to get us where we need to go? And developing those metrics, it's so much easier to do when a company is small. And, and I do have people who lead small businesses in some of the talks that I give. And I keep imploring to them, just because you're small doesn't mean that you can't manage like you're big. Because if, if your goal is to be big and you wait to set up those systems, it's going to be a much harder undertaking. So start with a wealth laid out plan. Figure out what activities are going to drive success. And make sure that you've got a robust way of measuring those, those activities right from the get-go. It will force business owners to be more 
focused on the critical things that matter. And, and I, I, even in big businesses that we go into, there are the majority that still struggle to do that. Interesting. How do you measure your success? You know, you work with different organizations. How do you measure your success? Uh, as an organization or me personally? Both. Both. As an organization, it's the referral rate. Yes, we uh, talked about that, the referral rate, but you yeah. personally. Me personally? I measure mine based on the number of new clients that I am able to engage in a project with our company. And because our referral rate is so high, every new client that engages with us ends up doing on average, whether it's with them or with people that they've referred us to, two and a half more projects. So the, the fuel that feeds our engine is getting new businesses uh, into our pipeline. Andrew, we have less than one minute left for this broadcast, and I have one last question for you. What have you, sure. learned, about, what have you learned about yourself through this journey? <laughs> we have less than a minute, buddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one thing. Um, I'll tell you, and this is because it's recent, you are never too young to learn. I, after I left consulting, I ran businesses in a variety of sizes and shapes for 16 years. And I came back to Carpedia to do business development and to speak in front of groups, something I thought I was okay at, maybe even good. And I worked with a coach and she ripped me apart and put me back together again. And it was... One of the most humbling experiences of my life, but one of the best. And, and, I, if it's, you know, and that's only one part of my business. So the idea that you, know, you can rest on your laurels and that you can't be better in some aspect um, of your life, I, I absolutely uh, don't believe in. I think you've always <laughs> got to be striving for learning. Thank you, uh, Andrew. Uh, Andrew Rush, Vice President, Carpedia International, for being my guest this morning. Share with us your uh, vast experience in, in consulting and coaching various organizations. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, your feedback is very important for us. Please email me at dvwallach at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Aaron, again, uh, my dedicated engineer every week. Uh, Sasha, my assistant executive producer, and Mark, our Facebook promotional guru. Next Tuesday, March 5th, my guest will be Gary Robitaille. We will discuss mergers and acquisitions. I'll meet you here at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.